Integrative Medical Podcast with Dr. Jake, a licensed naturopathic doctor who will show you how to tap into your body's natural ability to heal your health issue and improve your symptoms quickly without harmful drugs or devastating surgeries. So pour some tea, get comfortable where you are, and enjoy this healing episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Teresa. I'm a mom, I'm a health nut, and I'm a wife to a cancer fighter. And today I'm here with Dr. Jake of Integrative Medica to talk about the five worst viruses in America. Now we know about COVID, but there are so many others that are causing issues. Dr. Jake. Yeah, this is going to be such an important video, and I hope it's entertaining to all of the viewers because these are some viruses I always look at when I'm dealing with a lot of chronic illnesses, autoimmune diseases, cancers, chronic fatigue, et cetera. I think it's going to be really interesting. Yes. You know, what I've been really excited about is knowing, you know, what, what COVID has done, it's opened our eyes to see that viruses don't just, oftentimes there are certain viruses that don't just give you some acute symptoms and then you get over it and, and you're done. Like we really learn like, whoa, they can, some of these can can cause some long-term problems that many of us, I don't think ever really, really thought about. And doctors have known this the whole time, but now it's really opening up a lot of our eyes um, to see as well. So I think I'm excited to be able to just have people recognize, you know, if you've got some underlying conditions, if you've got some chronic issues that you've been dealing with for years, like go see a doctor, go see an integrative doctor like Dr. Jake. Uh, and and see if there's some chronic bugs that you might be dealing with that you can get rid of, or that at least you can you you can have help your body be able to control so that it's not causing so many problems for you anymore. So I know that you've given us a list. Uh, some of them I've heard of, some of them I haven't. So I'm super eager to hear about um, your expertise in this area, Dr. Jake, and how you're helping people. Uh, be able to uh, overcome some of these uh, problems. So let's just jump into it. You gave me a list. We want to make sure first and and clarify with our audience that this is just a podcast, right, Dr. Jake? Yeah, this is only a podcast, so I'm not going to give any specific advice or any suggestions there. So visit my website, integrativemedica.com, find our phone number there, and set up a virtual appointment or in-person appointment with me or some of my other great docs so we can really dive into what's going on with you. Wonderful. All right. So the very first one um, is one that I recently uh, learned about it as well, because I actually uh, got mono when I was a teenager and I was digging in to see if it was an issue. And that is EBV or Epstein-Barr virus. Dr. Jake, what is Epstein-Barr virus? So Epstein-Barr virus is one of our most common viruses we have that cause mono-like symptoms. So that is, so you get fever, you get chills, you get a sore throat, you might get abdominal pain, you get an enlarged liver. Um, these are some of the symptoms that could go with that. Those are the acute symptoms. It's transmitted through saliva. That's why we call it many times the, the kissing virus <laughs> because it can be transmitted through the saliva, also often sharing drinks. Those are the most common ways. I mean, someone could touch their mouth and touch a countertop and you could touch that and get it transmitted that way too. But so yeah, you get those symptoms and it can be really debilitating for some people right when you get it. You could be chronically fatigued and really brain foggy and not really able to function very well for a month or two after getting it. And some people can't function for a year or more uh, after acutely getting it. Most people get it and they last maybe for a couple of weeks and the, the symptoms subside and they don't have any problems from it. But what happens with Epstein-Barr virus is it goes dormant, just like all viruses, it goes dormant. So your immune system takes care of it. It brings it, it puts it at bay, 
and then it goes in this dormant stage inside your body. But what can happen, let's say you, later in your life, you go through a really stressful event, you have some divorce or you have a lot of stress with work or whatever, whatever stressful event comes up, or let's say you have a surgery or all these kind of different types of uh, scenarios that can reactivate the virus. So when that gets reactivated, it doesn't necessarily cause all those acute symptoms that you're experiencing. Now you could have an inflamed liver when it gets reactivated. It's very common. Almost everyone has a lot of chronic fatigue when they do have re reactivation of it, but it doesn't cause the sore throat many times for a lot of my patients that do have it, even though I have some patients that do, but it can become reactivated and that can lead to all sorts of different issues. Big one is it leads to chronic fatigue syndrome and how it does that is the virus will go and hijack your cell like all kinds of viruses do. It goes, hijacks your cell, and it damages the mitochondria in there. Mitochondria is what makes ATP production. That is what our body uses for energy production. So your muscles aren't going to feel as strong. You're not going to have as much stamina. You're going to be mentally fatigued. You're going to have brain fog. You're just going to feel tired all the time, and you're going to feel like you're going to have to pound the caffeine or you do whatever that gives you energy all the time because – you have this virus that has reactivated that's causing this trauma to the mitochondria and it's not functioning as well anymore. It also causes disturbances of your immune system because your immune system gets hyper-stimulated in response to seeing this virus again, and it's always hanging out there. So your immune system gets hyper-stimulated. Then that immune system can cross-react with certain proteins inside your body and lead to various autoimmune conditions. Let's say Hashimoto's thyroiditis related to the thyroid, multiple sclerosis related to your nervous system, rheumatoid arthritis related to your joints. It could be a cause of all these things that are going on in, in there. And then if there is some research showing that it could be related to the cause of several cancers like leukemia. Uh -huh. It's a very common one that can be related to Epstein-Barr virus when it gets reactivated. So I know that I caught it uh, when I was about 15. I got mono. Um, and so it was very clear that I got it. My doctor, you know, I had all the symptoms. The doctor gave me the blood work to rule it out. Sure enough, Epstein-Barr virus. Anybody who comes in contact with Epstein-Barr virus, do they always show up with mono-like symptoms uh, or, or can it look like something else? With their first so there's some, yeah, so some people get exposed to like 80% of the population has been exposed to Epstein-Barr virus and probably a lot more people. That's just a number that they're throwing out there. Um, not everyone is going to experience the debilitating symptoms related to Epstein-Barr virus. They might just have cold-like symptoms. They might have a runny nose and a sore throat. That's it. And it get, they get over it in a, a week or so. But they did have Epstein-Barr virus and you thought it was just some other random cold. Other people are going to have a lot of those symptoms I just talked about when they get exposed to Epstein-Barr virus. I'm glad that you clarified that up because I know that some people who might have uh, underlying condition or, you know, some chronic issues, they might think, well, I never had mono, so mm -hmm. that can't be it. But indeed, mm -hmm. it it still could be something that it could be EBV that's causing their issue in a reactivization, but they may be caught EBV when they were younger or older, but yep. it seems also like when we hear these stories about someone who thinks, oh, I think I got mono, but they're 30 years old or they're 35 or 40 years old, you know, the, a lot of doctors will laugh and be like, no, the chances of you catching mono at that late in your, in your life is slim because likely at this age, you probably have already encountered it, right? Definitely for sure. I think it's, I, I see people come in or I hear like, family, friends, or so whatsoever say, oh, I just got diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus. And many times, not most doctors don't really think of this reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus. It's doctors that really specialize in this infectious disease, this chronic disease realm, 
that are going to really recognize this. And I see doctors making a diagnosis of acute mono. And I'm like, okay, 30 years old, 35 years old, you're making a diagnosis of acute mono. No, they had vi the virus and have reactivated themselves because they got exposed to some other virus that reactivated or they went through a really stressful event that reactivated Epstein-Barr virus. So it's, it's in a chronic Epstein-Barr virus now. It got reactivated and can lead to all kinds of problems at that point which is worse than getting the acute mono. You could get acute mono and never have reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus. And that's most people. Most people right. get it, no issues. So I don't want people to get a ton of anxiety because they've right. had Epstein-Barr virus or mono and now they're going to get all this chronic illnesses. This No, this ha doesn't happen in most people, but people that are sick, it definitely could be a piece of what's going on. Interesting. Okay. So now if you come uh, across a, a patient who's has some underlying um, conditions, some chronic issues, and you give them some tests and you find that they have a reactivization of Epstein-Barr virus, is there hope for them? What can they, how can they, what do, what do you typically do to, to help them resolve that? So there's a lot of things we can do. And I want to dive into kind of a little bit of the testing. So what we do to test for this reactivation of some bar virus. So you could get testing for Epsom bar virus and you check your IgM, IgG antibodies, and you can see, oh, okay, I have elevated IgG antibodies. So what we look for your reactivation, we look for early antigen with Epsom bar virus. And we also see how high your antibody levels are. And that's how we really get a confirmed diagnosis. Okay, you have reactivation of this virus. But what we do to treat this uh, specific condition is we do a lot of detailed treatment. And it's not about just killing the virus. Now we will work on killing the virus. We do vitamin C is really good at that. Some uh, zinc can be really good. High doses of vitamin A is really great. There's several different antiviral herbs that we like to do like OSHA or Lomatium or Melissa officinalis or many other herbal treatments that we do for that. But we also work on, okay, how's your gut functioning? How's your adrenal glands doing? How's your thyroid doing? We look at all these areas and do testing to really look at all these areas to see how they're functioning. Because if you just focus on killing off the virus, you're never going to get better. The virus caused damage and we need to heal the damage that was caused by the virus. So we need to find out how the thyroid is working, the adrenal glands, the gut, and all the other areas of the body and treat those things at the same time as what we're doing and killing off the Epstein-Barr virus. So those are some quick treatments. Usually when you have a chronic disease, these oral things can be sufficient. I do have patients that respond there. A lot of times I do do certain IV procedures to really kick the Epstein-Barr virus because when they get become virus, when they get become chronic, they're much harder to eliminate from your body. They also form these things called biofilms, which are these little mucus clusters on the outside of them. And certain substances aren't able to get into there very well. So we do biofilm breakers to help break that up, like uh, DMSA, uh, bismuth subnitrate, alpha-lipoic acid. These are things to help break up that biofilm so you're able to get the substances to kill it. We do like high-dose vitamin C or artemisinin, ozone therapies, things like that to really get this uh, Epsom-Barr virus under control. And I imagine like really working on on managing stress levels it would probably be an important part Huge. as well, right? Yeah, definitely. That makes mm -hmm. sense since you're saying that it's it's often activated by stress. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, wonderful. So now you have another one, and this one also causes mono, but it's a completely different virus. So I'm I'm interested in knowing what the differences is and and how it affects our bodies differently long term. Um, and I have it as CMV. Uh, what is this, and what are the differences? Yeah, CMV stands for cytomegalovirus. It is a so let's say you come down with mono, and you never got specifically. Epstein-Barr virus, or, or they didn't check for a specific virus for mono. 
um, you won't know exactly what virus caused that. There's Epstein-Barr virus, there's Cytomegalovirus, there's others that cause those symptoms. Mono is just a symptom. It's not what's really causing. It's a it's a, a accumulation of symptoms that we cause that we call mono. It's not the specific virus that's causing that. So there's several viruses that can cause that 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 grouping of symptoms that which we call mono. But cytomegalovirus is will cause similar symptoms acutely, same type of things. That's why we call it mono. It will cause sore throat, inflammation of the liver, fatigue, chills, fever. Uh, it can make you lethargic for a really long time. Um, one thing that doesn't come along with Epstein-Barr virus that does with cytomegalovirus is, unfortunate thing, is it potentially if you get exposed to it when you're pregnant, it could cause birth defects. So that's one mm-hmm. thing that cytomegalovirus does that uh, Epstein-Barr virus doesn't. Fortunate thing is a lot of people may likely get exposed to CMV early on before they are having kids, but that's not always the case. Not as many people get exposed to CMV as they do to Epstein-Barr virus. It's not as circulated in the in the ethers as much in our, in our community as there is Epstein-Barr virus. When it gets reactive, it can reactivate just like Epstein-Barr virus. So your immune system will take care of it. It will go dormant. It will hang out there. And then again, you have whatever stressful event that comes on into your body, which then will reactivate the cytomegalovirus and will cause many of the symptoms that we talked about with Epstein-Barr virus. And when we talk about these chronic bugs, is a lot of times they cause similar type of symptoms because they will mess with your immune system. They will mess with your endocrine organs like your thyroid and your adrenal glands and your estrogen production and your testosterone production. It will mess with your gut causing inflammation, which will then will affect your whole immune system, which will affect your absorption of all the nutrients that you have. So there's a lot of a lot of symptoms that can happen, a lot of chronic disease that can happen when you have these these viruses that reactivate themselves. But this can lead to the autoimmune conditions. It can lead to the chronic fatigue syndromes. It can lead to neurological symptoms like depression, anxiety, ADD, because of the inflammation that's caused into the brain. So a lot of a lot of different things. Your inflammation in your liver can be related to Epstein-Barr virus and cytomegalovirus. So those are some of the symptoms related to that. Now with so, cytomegalovirus, do you catch it the same way? Like you said, Epstein-Barr is typically caught through saliva. Yeah. Is CMV the same? It's the same mode of transportation, if that's a good word for this. Yes, it is transmitted in a similar way. You do get it through the saliva. You also can get it from a cough. Um, so you can get a cough some, from cytomegalovirus. You can from Epstein-Barr virus too. But for some reason, Epstein-Barr virus doesn't tend to spread as well there. But it, it really, it just comes from mucous membranes. So, but when you cough, saliva is coming out and it's coming out in that way. But it's not necessarily coming from deep down in the lungs. Cytomegalovirus can spread from sputum that's coming directly from the, the lung tissue. Now, you know, thinking about this, like it, it, saliva as being this, this, this mode of how this virus, these two viruses can, can transmit – you know, we've got families uh, that often will share drinks. Obviously, you might have couples that are kissing and so forth. Is it as, you know, typically with a family, like if I am going to take a sip out of my my kid's drink, it's, it's I will if I know he doesn't have a cold, right? Like, okay, he doesn't have a cold, I'm going to take it. If it's not flu season, I'll share a drink, you know? Yeah. It, does it work the same way with EVV and CMV? Like you just look at them, hey, you don't have mono, great, take a sip. Or can can you be, can you catch this from somebody that doesn't have any symptoms at all and they're and they're still shedding this virus. Typically, they're going to experience some type of symptoms when they're shedding the virus. So, but sometimes you can still be spreading the disease like a day or two before you have any symptoms that are coming on board. So, you might have your your partner and you kiss them, you feel great, and then you come down sick and you spread it. 
to to that person. So it can be hard in that regard because you, there is the prodrome stage, and before you have any type of symptoms, you can potentially spread the virus, and that's the case with most viruses. Interesting. All right. So we have another one on the list that I've never heard of. I'm very eager to um, to hear what you have to say about it. HHV6. What is it? How do people catch it? How common is it? Yeah, HHV6, herpes human virus. So this one is spread through the saliva, also through a cough and contact. So it can spread pretty readily throughout the community pretty well, just like Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, because you just kind of touch your mouth, you touch on a surface, we'll hang out there for a little bit, someone else touches that surface, will spread. Someone has a cough, it gets out in the air particles, and then you breathe it in, and then you get exposed to it. So that's the way you get exposed to that. So HHV6 is an interesting one, is it will cause the fever, the chills, it could cause body aches. But interesting symptom that can come along with it is you could get exposed to a disease and actually have depression during, uh, you have acute disease of HHV6, and then you have just a depressive episode during that time. And it makes sense a little bit to me, but to have that specifically listed when we talk about in the medical literature, that is a specific acute symptom. It's interesting because it, this tells me how much inflammation of the brain it is causing. This one is a big neurological inflammatory uh, virus. So it can be related to a lot of the inflammation of the of the nervous system. So it can be a big cause of potentially uh, multiple sclerosis or potentially Parkinson's disease causing this chronic inflammatory response of the nervous system can be related to HHV6. So if I'm seeing someone that is experiencing neurological symptoms like neuropathies or burning pains or chronic pain throughout their body, or they're experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression and things like that. I'm usually going to dive into HHV6 and see if that could be related to some of the symptoms they're experiencing. So that's more when I'm talking about chronic. So these are, I talked about the acutes, but I dived into the chronic. Again, this could, gets taken care of just like any other virus. Your immune system takes care of it, it goes dormant and reactivates itself from any type of stressor that comes into the body, which can be from psychological stress, physical stress, or even getting exposed to a certain infection that's causing a lot of stress to your body that was really hard on you or surgeries or et cetera can cause this reactivation of the virus. So it's something that we always, when I'm looking at someone that has some type of chronic illness, especially the neurological symptoms, like I talked about, I'm going to order this test and see where the antibody levels and see how high the antibody levels are to see if they just got exposed to it or they're actually having a reactivation of their virus that's leading to their symptoms they're experiencing. Now, when we hear the word herpes, I think a lot of us often just immediately think of like the, what's causing cold sores, or we hear about the sexually transmitted disease herpes. Is this the same herpes? Yeah. So they're all in this, it's a family. So that okay. it's not, so when you're saying like uh, genital herpes or oral herpes and this type of things, that is, uh, that's herpes one, HHV herpes simplex virus one and two. Okay. Um, but there's Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, HHV6. They're all in the same family, which we call herpes viruses. So okay. these this family herpes viruses is uh they can cause a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, but they're but they're they're different, but they're all in the same family because they look similar to each other structurally. Yeah. Now with the HHV6, is this similar to Epstein-Barr virus where you know 80% of the population likely already has it once they've reached a certain age. How yeah, common is, is it? Much more rare. Um, you're not, most people haven't been exposed to HHV6, but there is a large population that has. I don't have the specific numbers on that one. We don't talk about it as much. And I don't know if we really know, but it's not 
doesn't seem like as many people have been exposed to it at this time. So I know I don't, 80% haven't. Same with cytomegalovirus, 80% haven't been exposed to that virus either. Epstein-Barr virus is much more the one. present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now with HHV6, are the acute symptoms, you, you talked about acute and chronic, but I wanted to make sure and really clarify for our audience. Are the acute symptoms the same as the the chronic long-term if it comes back? No, it's usually a lot, of, a lot different. It's more acute. You're going to have the fevers. You're going to have the aches. You're going to have the chills. You're going to have the sore throat. You're going to have a cough that can come along with it. Like I said, with HHV6, you could have depression, but that can come on with the chronic too. So chronic is more going to be the autoimmune stuff going on, this long-term autoimmune dysregulation, mm-hmm. this long-term neurological neuropathies, like this neurological pain or these right. anxieties, depressions, or this lack of memories. And, or you have this autoimmune condition that's related to a neurological disease, even though it, HHV6 can be related to rheumatoid arthritis or other autoimmune conditions too. It's not just focused on the neurological system, but yeah, you're not going to have the fever and chills normally. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you do though, when you get these autoimmune reactions, you could get little fevers that just come randomly on board, like at night or when you're just hanging out at home, you get this fever. So, so it's there, but it is going to be completely different type of symptoms. You're going to have that acute feeling really sick type of thing. And you're not going to feel like that usually when you get a, when you get a reactivation of a virus, you're going to have more chronic long-term symptoms that usually have a name to it. Like, oh yeah, you have multiple sclerosis or you have Parkinson's right. disease, or you just have dementia or you have IBS. You have certain names of these chronic diseases you've been dealing with, but it, the cause of it could be the HHV6. Interesting. Now with, you know, you talked about EBV and like uh, uh, typically with an onset of that, um, somebody might be able to get through it in two weeks. I know for me, when I caught it, it took a whole, like maybe one or two months before I was finally better. I had a really Mm -hmm. bad case of it with HHV six. How long is typically the acute, how how long does it take for the body usually to to fight those acute? It's usually going to be over within a week or two, most of the time, but uh, just like any virus and, and bad virus, it could last for several months for some people, even a year for some people. That's rare though. It's usually going to be over in a week or two. And again, you might not experience all these symptoms that I talked about. You might just have a mild cold and you did right. get exposed to HHV6. Um, so that's what's interesting about viruses. They don't always follow what we think they should, mm-hmm. and, but you still got exposed to that virus. Right. Okay. Next one on the list is parvovirus B19. What is it? How do people catch it? How common is it? So parvovirus B19, it's not as common as Epstein-Barr virus. It's probably in the category HHV6. It's a less common type of bug that you do get exposed to. That is transmitted through saliva, urine, sexual secretions, that route. So human human fluids, uh, for lack of a better term there, mm-hmm. um, is how it's transmitted. It can be transmitted through a cough also. Um, this is going to cause a lot of the acute symptoms, fever, chills, headaches. It, this one causes a really bad joint pain though, maybe more than others. Uh, and what's interesting about it is that's the acute symptoms, but chronically you can have really bad joint pain. Uh, is, and whenever I see that, okay, someone has really bad joint pain or someone has specifically rheumatoid arthritis, I'm always going to be looking at parvo B19 because it could be related there. It also has a big affinity for the heart. So you could have inflammation of the heart. Let's say someone has a pericarditis that's not clearing. I like to look at parvo B19 or someone, someone has a lot of chest pain that comes and going. No one really knows why that is happening. I like to look at parvo B19, but that's more on the chronic realm. But sometimes when you get exposed cr- uh, acutely to parvo B19, it could cause severe chest pain because it causes inflammation of the heart uh, when you're acutely related to it. But when it reactivates, 
it could cause this inflammation of the heart too. And it's going to last a really long time instead of the acute situation. It's usually going to go away in a week or two or a month. Um, so that that's Parvo B19 is something I really like to look at. It's not my most common one I like to look at. I If someone does come in with me with, with a lot of joint pain, I like to look at that. Uh, or if someone's not really being, not really responding well to the treatment that we're doing, if they... Uh, I like to look at this one. So this is one is a less common one, but a very important one that we do need to look at related to chronic disease. Now you were mentioning with HHV six as well. There were some similarities that I heard, and that had to do with a lot of like body aches and those types of things. Yeah. Um, when I, you know, I hear a lot, of, especially with women um, in in my age group, a lot of the the words fibromyalgia comes up often, where people mm -hmm. are struggling with this. Uh, is that sometimes a condition that could be associated with some of these viruses? Definitely is. I always, when someone comes in with me with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, usually people with fibromyalgia usually have chronic fatigue, not always, but it does tend to go hand in hand. You have, you're tired all the time and then you have pain all over your body and you don't know why that's happening. But yes, uh, Parvo B19, HHV6, Epsom-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, and other bugs that we're going to talk about in other podcasts are, going, are related to fibromyalgia. And it's something I always like to look at because it could be a piece to the puzzle of uh, figuring out what's uh, causing the fibromyalgia and treating it appropriately. Yes, I'm really eager for those episodes too. For those of you who are listening, uh, you know, we're talking about really the most, the, the worst viruses uh, in America, the ones that we're really seeing causing long-term chronic issues when they come back or if they come back. But we're also going to be discussing on future episodes, uh, funguses that do the same thing, bacteria that do the same thing that could be the root cause or part of the cause for chronic conditions and autoimmune issues that we're seeing so prevalent um, in the world today. So eager to, to listen to those episodes as well. All right, we have one last uh, virus that we want to talk about, HPV. Now we hear a lot about, we were hearing a lot about this a while back when uh, there was a, a vaccine that had come out to, to try to resolve this and issue to, to try to protect our, our, our teenagers uh, from this condition. What is it? Um, how do you catch it? And how common is it? HPV, human papilloma virus. This is a sexually transmitted uh, disease. You're going to get it through sexual contact. We always talk about this one because it's a big risk factor for cervical cancer, especially when you're in younger groups, uh, teenagers, low 20 year olds, we want to really be doing uh, pap smears and things because we want to rule out any issues with HPV because that's going to increase your risk of cervical cancer. So that's, that's one bad thing about HPV. And when you get exposed to it, you might not really experience a lot of symptoms, uh, really, which is an unfortunate thing. I mean, you might have fever or chills for a couple of days. Um, when you get exposed to it because your immune system is being activated trying to take care of it. But you might, many times you don't have any symptoms and you just got exposed to it and now it's hanging out and causing problems throughout your entire body. So it causes more than just cervical cancer, even though that's a big one we like to look at with HPV, but it can cause a lot of these things we're talking about, these chronic fatigue syndromes, these these chronic pains, these uh, uh, chronic headaches, uh, the digestive issues. The immune system, big thing is the immune system because when you get exposed to these bugs, the immune system just gets way too overstimulated. And when we get that immune system overstimulated, that's when autoimmune conditions happen because they get confused and cross-react with other proteins and leads to an autoimmune condition. So yeah, that's that's human papilloma virus. Now with HPV, does it work similarly as the other viruses that you had mentioned where your body takes care of it and then it's reactivated possibly years later through a stressful event? 
it can get worse at that point. It's not one I really talk about as much in that regard, and we need to dive into that a little bit more. It's, and HPV isn't one I'm usually ordering a ton for people that are coming in with chronic illness again, but it is one that if someone isn't responding to treatment, it's something I'm like, okay, let's let's dive in to see if you have you had a history of it. HPV or do we know about that or we need to order a test for that? Um, it's so re- reactivation of it. That's a good question. I don't know. Interesting. So definitely worth looking into. I think, would it be safe to say if someone who's listening has cervical cancer or a, a loved one who does, uh, is it safe to say that they should probably look into seeing if they have HPV? Definitely. They, they need to do that for sure. If they have cervical cancer and need to look into that because that might modify the treatment that is done for you based on that. Is it something where if you can calm down the, the HPV reactivation that cancer symptoms can go away or is that something you have to deal with separately? Like if you calm down the HPV and got it back to dormant, is the cancer grow and, 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 and so forth, or does it tend to correlate with the presence of the virus? So a lot of the treatment I do for cervical cancer, because it's a, most women that have cervical cancer, many times it is related to HPV. Other things can be causing it and whatever, is a lot of my treatment protocols for that condition is antiviral treatments to bring that virus back into a dormant state so it's not causing this chronic inflammation. So what's happening with the cervix is causing this chronic inflammatory state inside the cervix. And then when you have this chronic inflammatory state, there's a lot of cells changes happening. And when you have a lot of cellular changes happening, there's more potential for mutations that are happening in that tissue. And then it starts replicating too fast for your immune system. And then that leads to leads to cancer. So yes, we want to uh, treat the virus, bring it at bay and dormant as a big treatment we do for cervical cancer. I love it. As people are listening, if you if you are dealing with any, you know, autoimmune conditions, chronic issues that you're feeling, body pains and aches, depression, you know, just chronic issues that you haven't been able uh, to escape, these are definitely some things that you want to look into testing out because it could be that root cause. If those, if, if for those of you who are listening, uh, if you want to check these out specifically with Dr. Jake, Dr. Jake, can you let them know how they can get a hold of you? Yeah. So if you want to like make a diagnosis of this, order some blood work to identify this, uh, visit our website, integrativemedica.com. Find our phone number there. Call our lovely receptionist instead of virtual or in-person visit with me or some of my other great doctors and we could get this looked at for you. Excellent. And uh, for those of you who are listening, we have other videos as well, other podcast episodes as well, dealing with autoimmune conditions and chronic conditions where Dr. Jake goes into depth about how he helps resolve them. So take a look at uh, the video on your right and we'll see you over there. Thanks so much. Hey, Dr. Jake, thank you for your time today. And if you enjoyed the show, then do us a favor and leave a review. It helps more people to find the show, which could save their life. And remember, this is a podcast and should not replace personalized attention from a medical professional like Dr. Jake. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, cancer of any stage, or a life-changing illness, visit our website today and schedule a virtual appointment with one of our doctors who can lead you to a treatment plan in your area. That's integrativemedica.com. 
integrativemedica.com. Thank you for listening to the Integrative Medica podcast with Dr. J. To hear past episodes and get alerts for the future, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform and be sure to follow us on YouTube as well. Just search for Integrative Medica with Dr. Jake.